uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. more peaceful since the revolution. It is a shame that your people suffered. But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. said you were coming. They said you were the best in the Parsec. Would you agree? my fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of planet eight we're going to be talking about all things related to the mandalorian so straight away, let's kick it over to the chief. Um, we've we've all watched uh, at this point. There's been four episodes uh, on Disney Plus. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. So we are halfway through, right? Halfway through. So, what is your impression, uh, Chief Bob, uh, of the Mandalorian thus far? Terrible, terrible series. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was I was talking to Karen earlier. It's like I read where. Nobody's nobody's arguing about this in Star Wars fandom. This was like a, a first, I guess, huh. outside the original trilogy that like everybody seems to like it. But interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely you know, I've pretty much liked it from the start. And uh, yeah, I'm really I'm glad they're doing like half hour, 40 minute episodes because mm-hmm. yeah. it's tight and it moves and it's and it's good. You know, a lot of the hour-long episodes of things, you know, there seems to be a lot of kind of padding and extra things that aren't really needed or whatever. And, you know, half hour, boom, you know. Mm-hmm. Batman could do it in half an hour. 
you know, <laughs> the old Superman could do it in half an hour and why not the Mandalorian? But, um, no, I think, and you know, it's really, it's almost like the old kiss theory. Keep it simple, stupid, <laughs> because it's simple. I mean, there's not an inordinate amount of dialogue. Mm-hmm. If you were going to dub this for a foreign market, it'd be a piece of cake. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, it's pretty much gets right into the story of the episode, goes right into it. You know, he gets right into what he's doing and, you know, and it moves. So, you know, you don't sit there like, ah, looking at your watch or whatever. It's more like, what? The episode's over already? Right. And you're waiting yeah. for the next one. So it kind of struck me. There's no like, you know, the episodic television, there's that break before the commercial. This has a flow that I think really works in its favor. You make a good point, Bob, with with the timing aspect of it. I mean, 35, 38 minutes is great. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I've really enjoyed it so far. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really, I, I kind of say it's a cross between Lone Wolf and Cub Mm-hmm. Or uh, Shogun Assassin, however old you are, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, and Wanted Dead or Alive, the old uh, uh, Steve McQueen television series, mm-hmm. which was a half an hour as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely elements of the two, and and they work really well. Very good. Uh, let's kick it up to the satellite, Karen. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with everything Bob said, and and I also think it's it really harkens back to the original trilogy in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, certainly, like I, I I'm thinking it was episode or the first episode, but maybe also in the second, a lot of the ways that they filmed things reminded me very much of the first trilogy. They even had some of those uh, transitions, the swipe transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was pretty neat. Yep. Um, and also just the characters, you know, they're very basic archetypes. You don't have to really wonder too much about like motivations or anything. I mean, the Mandalorian himself seems to owe a lot to sort of the spaghetti Westerns. He's very much sort of a Clint Eastwood kind of character. Right. Um, the lone gunman, as it were. Yeah. You know, and of course, you know, at first you think, oh, he's just in it for the money. He's just doing this job. And, but of course, you know, he's got more moral fiber than that and, and takes the kid right. uh, and takes him to heart and everything. But uh, yeah, it's really enjoyable. I do like the half hour or 35 to 40 minute format. Um, there's not, like Bob said, there's not a lot of extra padding, but we do get a lot of sort of tantalizing glimpses of things in the Star Wars universe, especially um, some idea of what happened after Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. You know, we know they're on the Outer Rim, and so things are more lawless, and there's sort of some discussions through different episodes that allow us to kind of see that, well, even though maybe the rebellion triumphed, um, things were still kind of tough. You know, it's not like an immediate overthrow of the empire. There's still a lot of things that need to be smoothed out. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting. So you can enjoy the story for itself. But then if you're a Star Wars fan, you like all those little sort of, uh, you know, Easter eggs or other things that like you can sit there and kind of nerd out over. Right. I agree with uh, everything that's been said thus far. I think it is very easy for a Star Wars fan 
to just sit down and watch, uh, you know, within the next or within the first couple of minutes, we find ourselves in a cantina scene with, uh, you know, filled with scum and villainy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the Mando Mandalorian does his thing. Um, yeah, it definitely started off with a bang. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, the, the other thing is they don't and Star Wars was good with this. They don't explain to you this alien is doing this or, or you know, um, this vehicle. I, I love that they incorporated droids as cab drivers or Uber drivers, as it were, <laughs> which we've never really seen before. But it, it just you, you just go with it. It's like, OK, mm-hmm. um, I, I love the utilization of the Jawas in that episode. It harkened back to the first Star Wars movie with Luke and Uncle Owen and, and just the bartering and the scavengering that they do. Yet it built on their language, their right. community. Um, it, you know, there was this video game that Super Nintendo had where you had to crawl up the side of a, a Jawa sand crawler. And the Mando trying to do that reminded me of that video game. So there were all these little Easter eggs that are for the the film fans I'm a big fan of the animated series, um, both Rebels and um, the Clone Wars. And the episode where the Mandalorian gets his armor refined from the – what is the metal called? I forget the – Beskar. Uh, Beskar. And I mean there's just so much to talk about. I'm not going to like hog up the time. Um, let me ask you guys this. What did you think? I thought it was cool that this governor, quote unquote, is using stormtroopers as his muscle. And and he's now basically in in a form of the mafia. Um, what did what did you guys think about the the troopers that were just kind of like muscle for this guy? Well, I thought he he was a remnant of the empire, right? Right. So right. He was an old moth for you know. They're yeah, they're leftovers of the empire. So it's kind of interesting to see that they're, you know, it makes sense there would be pockets of the empire still hanging around trying to figure out how to get back on top. And of course, you know, those those troopers are pretty beat up. So you can imagine right. what they've gone through. Right. And then this whole scheme with the child and the doctor there who mm-hmm. many, many people have said had a, an insignia uh, that was like the cloners from the prequel. Mm. So, you know, we can get into where that's going to go. But obviously there's some grand scheme and it seemed like uh the client who was Werner Herzog, which is just mind blowing to think that <laughs> fantastic <I> mean. <laughs> that he would be in it. But, you know, what is he was like kind of like eh, if, you know, if you have to kill him, it's kind of OK. Right. And then the cloner is like, oh, no, we want him alive. So even within their ranks, it seems like there's dissension. So, yeah, that was very interesting. To well, going understand. back to the stormtroopers, right. I mean, that was a great reveal, too, because, you know, Mandalorian walks in and the the door zips open and there's like you know a handful of stormtroopers sitting mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, I was like, uh, whoa, that's pretty cool. It, it was almost like you know the the gold that was taken out of Nazi Germany, you know, yeah. after the war. And there's like these remnants of these you know commanders, like you were saying, Karen, mm-hmm. you know, these little fiefdoms, if you will. Um, and and you mentioned uh, guest stars, blew my mind that Nick Nolte. And at first I was like. Who is that? <laughs> I have spoken. I couldn't believe it's Nick Nolte as an Ugnaught. <laughs> well, yeah, well did you voice. see who played yeah. the uh, that one robot at the beginning that's always trying to, like, you know, self-destruct? Oh, yeah. Oh, Taika Waititi played him. Yeah. 
Yes, that was cool too. Director of Ragnarok and voice of Korg, I guess. Jojo Rabbit, which unfortunately I didn't make it out to see. Speaking of Nazi Germany. Oh, I did see that. Oh, we'll have to talk. Yes. I, I heard you did a good Hitler. Uh, <laughs> a, good, a good Hitler. Those crazy Nazis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mayhem ensues. Um, but no one's mentioned one of the coolest things about the series so far, and that's his gun. Yes. I mean, I we're not talking disintegration. We're not talking wounds. We're talking about just exploding people and aliens and beings. <laughs> well, and, and he's able to Pop, like electrify and shock people. And yeah. It's a new weapon. It's like a Swiss Army knife of Mandalorian weapons. Right. That That's the yeah. one that they showed Boba Fett using when he captured Han Solo and Luke Skywalker in the... Uh, the cartoon? The Christmas special, yeah. Yeah. Well, I so mean, you nice know, it was just that. it was just amazing the first time you see him really use that thing and, you know, just start popping Jawas. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just Yeah, going, that was Poof. funny when he goes to negotiate with him and the the guy the not says, Well, they don't like you very much and he's yeah. like, Well, I did disintegrate a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. No, that that is a cool looking weapon. I mean, at some points it almost looks like a trident. You know, it's it's very um, iconic. I think um, it, it'll be up there with like Chewbacca's bowcaster and mm-hmm. lightsaber and stuff. It, it really gives definition to the character. Well, as I mean, well. if you even even going back to I mentioned Wanted Dead or Alive with Steve McQueen, and mm-hmm. in that series he had. It was called the Colt's leg, which was like a shot, a sawed-off shotgun that he had right. strapped to his his side like a sidearm. So he had that was like his distinctive weapon. So yeah, the Mandalorian he has his uh, kind of trademark distinctive weapon as well. No, no, this isn't a critique. I'm I'm not complaining, but it was a little troublesome to me. I I think I'd have a problem personally flying around in his ship. It, it seems like it was very flimsily. <laughs> put together and taken apart so easily and yet he's traveling like the the vacuum of space on a wing and a prayer i don't know i mean at any point this thing could fly apart it seems well as yeah. long as the baby yoda doesn't keep like flipping switches arbitrarily <laughs> it, it was just interesting to me that they took that thing apart and put it back together and what if they didn't give him all the parts back yeah it, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny because you think about it like, well, I know personally, if if a bunch of Jawas or some other people came and took my car apart and then some buddy of mine said, well, let's just put it back together. I don't think I could drive my car down the street after I did that. So <laughs> but, you know, apparently it's not that hard for people in the Star Wars universe to. But, you know, I guess he was an Ugnaught, so he should know how to, you know, where the parts go and everything. I was going to say, he was an Ugnaught, so he knew what he was doing. He, you know, so that was cool. And what did you guys feel? I mean, the the Internet just blew up when when Baby Yoda was revealed. Uh, First impressions of that, Karen? Oh, well, it was quite a surprise. I was glad I hadn't seen anything online about it Mm -hmm. um, beforehand. Um, you know, on one hand, you could say, oh, here we go again with the cutesy stuff from Star Wars. But uh, the way they've handled it, you know, I've appreciated it. And there's that, of course, there's that, you know, edge of mystery. There's the edge of danger. Right. You know, we, we don't know what the uh, the ex-imperials want to do 
with the baby, but we know obviously the baby's very powerful, so we know they're up to no good. And, and you know, there's the attachment. It's nice to see that growing attachment between Mando and the baby. Right. Um, so that it feels like, oh, my gosh, this could be tragic. They're just I think they're handling it real well, although, you know, it could always like tilt over to schmaltzy. So yeah. I, I, I don't want to see it get too schmaltzy. But so far, I've really enjoyed it. And they've been able to use the baby pretty well for comedic purposes, like the last <laughs> episode where he's flipping the switches and Mando's like, don't touch anything. And you can tell like a little kid, he knows he's not supposed to touch anything. But he does it anyway. He's trying to engage. Yeah. You know, getting a response, whether it's negative or positive. So, well, I mean, yeah. it's that. And then, you know, telling him, OK, stay here, stay right here. Don't move. <laughs> and then they show the, you know, the door of the ship opening and he's standing right there next to him. And, <laughs> or, or he's having that fight with the ex uh, shock trooper and big stalemate and big fight and everything. And then they look over and kids sitting there, like standing there sipping soup or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I no, they definitely, I don't know, the comedic timing is really good. And yeah. it's not overkill either. It, it's it's just enough. I mean, it could go over into Jar Jar Binks territory if they didn't Ooh. do it right. Misa hope not. But uh, Misa don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, a very smart choice, I think. You guys can chime in. Um to use a, a a character that belongs to Yoda's species, because what do we associate the Force? Yoda, you know, the Jedi Master. And I don't know if every member of the species is Force sensitive. I know Yaddle was also a Jedi Master set on the Council in Episodes One and Two. Um, it, it was familiar uh, at the same time as kind of surprising that they would utilize a character from Yoda's race. Again, not complaining, but a 50-year-old baby, I don't know. I think Karen and I kind of talked about this for a couple of minutes. Um, at what point do they become a teenager? Is it in their, like, hundreds? I, I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, but I thought that was fantastic. Very, very uh, well done. Um, moving forward, um, what do you think is going to be the challenge in, I mean, he can't travel the rest of his days with this baby. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm a sucker for a sad story or a heart, you know, tugging the string story when the widow in the latest episode, episode four almost took off his mask. And, And it's like, he was thinking, you know, Heck, I'll I'll do it. Well, and it took him a while before he stopped. Pulls her. it down, right? And and you know he wants the best for the kid, but sadly realizes he can't leave him out like that. I mean, he's got a death mark on his head. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was Ooh. mentioning earlier that like you know he's going to lose that kid at some point because oh, like he's man. running out of the bar to to find the shock trooper and he's just like flips a bartender a coin. Here, watch the kid. Right. It's like. It's pretty flippant that, you know, leaving him in the ship or, or trying to leave him in the ship or leave him in the middle of a bar or whatever. It's like, you know, I was just think if you if you were in a bar with a kid <laughs> and you had to do something, you just like, you know, slip the bartender 20. Here, watch my kid. I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> Not always the best solution. 
Well, you know, I, I, I can't disagree with you on that one. Yeah. I, I kind of thinking that maybe this season would wrap up the Yoda storyline. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll wind up finding Yoda's species or maybe he'll wind up giving him to the rebellion. But I wonder if people are so dependent or so focused on Yoda, how how he would do with a season two with no baby Yoda. Because I think a lot of Mm. people are really interested in baby Yoda. I mean, I just actually introduced somebody to Star Wars Mm -hmm. and we just watched the original trilogy and then we started watching The Mandalorian. And and I know she is like really focused on baby Yoda. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, (laughs) you know, and I see all this stuff on my social feeds about baby Yoda. I see more stuff about baby Yoda than anything else on The Mandalorian. So I'm kind of wondering if they do move on from baby Yoda at some point, how the the show is going to fare. I mean, I'll continue watching it because I am interested in the Mandalorian as a character. Mm -hmm. They've dropped enough hints about his background and everything else that I I think I would be interested in still watching it. But I do think in, in some ways that baby Yoda could be a little bit of a trap for them. Well, it's interesting you bring up that point. I mean, the first thing I thought was they're going to have like a dozen or so Marvel TV shows. Um, who's to say Baby Yodi does? Yodi. Yodi Dodo. Yeah. Who's to say Baby Yoda doesn't get his own series at some point? Boba Yodi. And it, it <laughs> could happen. Um, yeah. You know, the other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, John Favreau, brilliant, brilliant work. I mean, this guy understands his stuff, what he did with Iron Man and helping the Marvel U. Uh, great. Uh, also, Dave uh, David Filoni, mm-hmm. he worked on the animated side and the connective tissues that he put into almost each and every story and episode um, w- was just brilliant. And he's involved in this show, too. So I have to believe that they they have a beginning, middle and end. We're not going to wind up with the last episode of Lost. Uh, <laughs> Do not speak series. its name. <laughs> um, I mean, they have pedigree, and, and and you know they're they're given a lot of leeway in this uh, in the sandbox. Um, do, do you guys have any uh, uh, fears, or do you think it's going to you know full speed ahead, or or what are some of the trappings that you think may um, hinder? the growth uh, of this character because we we are greenlit for a second season right they're already filming it they're already there you go all right so they're already filming yeah it. i had so read where uh, ryan johnson wants to direct an episode it's like come on it's going uh, good <laughs> yeah, <let's laughs> what do you want to do that for everything that's been built so far but no i mean i think there's like endless stories that they could do of course like yeah. every bounty hunter in the uh Universe has fobs looking for this kid. That was so, a great. You know, you've got you've got all these you know aliens and things that they could introduce. You know, as as different bounty hunters and things. You know, and they have a rotation of directors as well. So, I think that kind of keeps it fresh too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. In fact, that last episode, episode four, was directed by uh, Dallas Bryce Ron Howard. Howard's uh, uh, what's her name? Ron uh, Howard. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was kind of interesting. So did she outdo her father in Star Wars directing or what? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, he he uh, started with a deficit, so well, that's true. He inherited true. his. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, I think the f- rotation of directors definitely will keep it fresh and make it interesting. Mm. Yeah, those guys. I mean, Filoni and Favreau. You can tell mm-hmm. they they have a great understanding of Star Wars and respect for it, and you know, I think that helps a lot. And I don't know, it just feels to me, I know Bob and I were talking a little bit beforehand, like I am more excited for each of these Mandalorian episodes than I think I am for episode nine. Um, <laughs> well, see, just that's... because it's just, I feel like they really get it. And I feel like even though these are not characters from like the original trilogy or any of that story, I feel like, you know, it just feels more like Star Wars to me. Well, that's the thing. Is this going to raise expectations or lower expectations? Or how do you think it's going to affect mm. Rise of Skywalker? That's a good question uh, and a good point, Karen. Um, I don't know. I mean, J.J. Uh, Abrams, uh, and, and that was a good word you used too, that they have a respect for the characters in the story. And um, I don't know that everyone who has worked on a star Wars project had that, you know, they had the excitement and, and all that, but um, yeah, that being said, I, that, yeah, well, I'm excited to still see, you know, episode nine. Um, I was disappointed with uh, how they treated Luke in the last film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, JJ had mentioned that they took Luke out of his first movie, uh, The Force Awakens, because nobody could touch Luke. He was, uh, you know, a Jedi master. And so they were going to move him into the second movie. Ryan Johnson deconstructed all that. Um, what's going to happen in this one? JJ's back. So that gives me hope. Um, but yeah, you, you make a good point. The Mandalorian is so well done. Um, I don't know that audiences will be as forgiving on this next movie if they hadn't already seen what the Mandalorian is doing. I mean, is J.J. Abrams like sitting at home right now going, oh, crap. Yeah, (laughs) shoot. (laughs) Do you think there's a possibility of the Mando ever crossing from Disney Plus to a Cineplex nearby? Would it work on the big screen or is it best in a... 38 32 minute uh format well in a in a roundabout answer Mm -hmm. uh since we obviously all have disney plus i was watching there's like a 12 minute video that was done at d23 where kevin Mm -hmm. feige introduces all the marvel shows that are going to be on uh disney plus and talking about the fact that a lot of them are going to cross over into the mcu so they're very interconnected. Mm-hmm. So I and yeah. from what I had read, uh, Disney wants to give Favreau and Feige almost complete control over the whole Star Wars franchise. So I don't see why they wouldn't incorporate, uh, you know, the Mandalorian and whatever other Star mm-hmm. Wars series come up on on Disney Plus into whatever the next iteration of the of the movies are. Oh. Wow. 
I've stunned everyone into silence. You have spoken. Uh, yeah, you have spoken. All right. Um, this is the way. I know that with the Marvel <laughs> shows, you know, Loki is going to be, I don't know, his stories are going to take place in the past or in the... The Loki that we're seeing in the TV show is the one that disappeared with the Tesseract in Endgame. Yeah. So that's how they explain bringing him back. Now, WandaVision is taking place like, they're kind of keeping it a mystery, but it's almost like a 50s sitcom with elements of the Marvel movies or whatever. So I don't understand. Do they time travel or what happened? Who knows? But but yeah, you know, they're kind of playing fast and loose. So I don't see why they couldn't do that with the Star Wars stuff. Well, I, I'm hoping that uh, we never see a time heist story in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think we need that. I know that some of the um, some of the mythology and some of the uh, cyber crystals or kyber crystals and whatever, um, the Jedi Temple, the Sith Temple, uh, had some strange and miraculous powers. I don't know that time travel was was a part of it, other than looking in the future and having like a premonition or something. Well, so time travel's like everywhere, so. Yeah, well. Yeah, it's probably kind of nice that they haven't introduced it into the Star Wars universe. Keep uh, it pure. Your fingers crossed. You know, though, when Larry, you mentioning all the stuff about the Jedi and the Sith and all that, I'm actually kind of relieved not to be dealing with them in the Mandalorian. I mean, yeah, we had baby Yoda do the levitation and everything. But for the most part, we really haven't heard much talk. I don't think any talk of Jedi or or Sith or any of that. And I don't know. It's kind of refreshing. I know some people, they want all their Star Wars to be focused on like Jedi or, you know, in that right. area. But uh, I kind of enjoy this part of the Star Wars universe that is something, you know, completely away from that. And it's still it's still demonstrably Star Wars. You don't feel right. like you're anywhere except the Star Wars universe. But it doesn't have to be about Jedi or about, you know, the Skywalkers or whatever. I mean, that's all great and everything, but it's kind of nice to do something else in the Star Wars universe. I agree. And, you know, that that's one of the things that I did like about the solo film. Um, yes, Han will eventually, you know, move on to meet Luke and Leia and all that. But, you know, that story was just told with characters that were other than Jedi or Sith until the end of the um movie with with Darth Maul spoiler alert spoiler alert but at that point he wasn't really a Sith anymore he was more like a, a mob boss um you know and it's funny because even though they don't mention Jedi and and Sith the how many people knew and I'm saying in the Star Wars universe you know in the cantina on the planets that the emperor was a Sith lord or was it something that just the inner circle knew that, you know, there's a Jedi that took down the Empire? Uh, do they think that the rebellion took down the Empire? Which is what I think, you know, because when the Mandalorian sees that the, the kid can uh, levitate that beast, mm -hmm. he's genuinely surprised. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, he's not like, oh, my God, I have a Jedi. You know, it's the force. No one really uh, said anything. That was also one of the things that I think worked well with um Rogue One, yes, you had, were they monks or um, guardians of the temple or whatever? Right. 
um, but they were not force wielders or force sensitive. It, it, it they were still able to tell a compelling story in that universe without you know doing all the stuff that we love Jedi's and Sith uh, doing. Well, they had Vader, but and and uh, that was exciting, but it wasn't the overall right. It wasn't you know, the focus. story right? Yeah. So I don't know. Um, yeah, it was interesting that the Mandalorian didn't recognize what Baby Yoda was doing, mm-hmm. and and when he told the Yugnot uh, the about it, he was like, "Tell me again, I don't understand." And and he's like, right. "I don't, I don't understand either." So I guess the impression is, and and again, this was after Return of the Jedi, so this is, it had been mm-hmm. a while since the Jedi had fallen. Um, the impression being like a lot of people don't know or had forgotten mm-hmm. about the Jedi and what they could do. Well, it's also yeah, in- interesting that they don't, or he doesn't like just use baby Yoda as a way out of anything. You know, True. Like, here's an ATST. Hey, bring the kid out. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> But uh, that's true. Yeah. And he's still trying to protect the kid, even though the kid is probably much more powerful than any weapon he has. And And I think that's why. Oh, sorry, Karen. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think that's why Werner wanted the kid. And, you know, whether they were going to clone it or uh, dissect it or whatever, he knew what this child is capable of. You know, he was one of the few, I think, in the universe that understood the power of a force wielder. Mm hmm. He was probably old enough to have that knowledge or had been in the inner circle, knew who right. Yoda was and understood, you know. He could have got force choked by Vader at some point in his career. <laughs> <laughs> and, and lived. Wow. And lived. I, I also thought it was kind of interesting. They, they're kind of they're keeping the Mandalorian basically a loner because he had the opportunity to, you know, kind mm. of bring – the Ugnot could have joined him on the ship, and he was like, no, no, I had a life of servitude. And then in the uh, last episode, Cara Dune, the, the ex-rebel trooper, um, he did team up with her briefly, but they didn't stay together. You know, she goes mm-hmm. her way, and although I guess we'll probably see her again. Yeah, um, I thought that would have actually made a good team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, she was, yeah, she was pretty formidable. Um but uh, I know she's filming something for season two. So if we don't see her in season one again, we'll see her in season oh, two. Cool. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like they're determined to sort of just keep it to, uh, you know, Mando and the baby do the lone wolf and cub thing uh, through the season. So how about the, when all his Mandalorian buddies popped up in the end of episode three to fight off the bounty hunters? That was pretty impressive. That was when all the little fobs started going off, and he's trying to like discreetly take the kid, you know, down these back alleys at night. And it's like boop, 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 boop. <laughs> and um, Carl Weathers too. I mean, oh yeah, he, uh, you know, you, I have to believe that the Mandalorian knew he had those metal, the money right where he shot him. Oh, you I don't think, think so? That was an accident. I he's such a good shot. I I think it was. I never thought of that, Larry. That's uh, just me. It, it's wow. Just, that no. Now that I, now that you mentioned it, though, I I kind of uh, wonder. Yeah, because huh. in the bar he knew he's like, oh yeah, I got paid too. Hoo-hoo, and stuck it back huh. in his pocket. And um, 
I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, talking about the other, you know, Mandalorians that came in, oh. uh, you really got to figure. I mean, he's basically doing what they should never do, right? He well, went, he, you know, he got his bounty, got his money, and then went and right. rescued the bounty. And now they're sticking up for him. Right. I guess that, and, and, you know, probably just goes to show, you know, how tight knit the Mandalorians are, I guess, that they would all, okay, you know, he went against our code, but we're going to go bail him out. You well, know, I, oh, I was just going to say, I, I, yeah, I was a little confused. So I watched each episode twice now. And like the first time I was kind of like, yeah, why would they rescue him? And the only thing I could think of after the second one, they didn't like that he was working with Imperials when they saw the Beskar and they saw the Imperial stamp on it. And the one guy got really pissed off at him and mm-hmm. was like, oh, you're working with the Imperials and blah, blah, blah. And the armor, the blacksmith, the woman blacksmith, she was like, oh, hey, wait, he's doing this stuff for us and blah, blah, blah. And I, the only thing I could think of was that um, maybe they knew he was rescuing the kid. Maybe they somehow found out the story about the kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it did seem like, wait a minute, now they're coming to rescue him. So it did seem a little incongruous, but maybe you're right. Maybe it was just like, well, he's a Mandalorian. We're going to help out a fellow Mandalorian. So yeah, there was a few things that were like, yeah. I'd have to look, um, cause I don't remember the names of the episodes, but in both the clone wars and in rebels, especially in rebels, uh, Sabine was one of the characters, main characters names. And she was mm-hmm. from Mandalore. And um, there were these great stories of the nobility of these Mandalorians um, before the Empire. And, you know, there were like um, fights between the the um, the different groups or tribes. I, I can't remember what they uh, called themselves. The cl- um, I think they're clans. Clans. They're very good. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, the clans. Um, so it harkened back for me um, that, uh, you know, what he did was wrong. What he got was good because the the Empire took everything that they could from Mandalore, even its leader, its its queen. Um, and and in trying to right that wrong is how I saw it. You know, taking that kid back. However, they found out about it. That was one of the most exciting to at this point exciting parts of the Mandalorian for me um, just to yes. actually right we've seen the animated Mandalorians flying around with the rocket packs and and going to war but to see them do this in you know real people flesh and, and bone was amazing well when he took out all those stormtroopers in that compound oh. it was like okay that's what Boba Fett was supposed to be right you know Boba Fett the you know, I, you know, my views on Boba Fett, I won't share them again, but, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, he was a real badass in that he just whipped through all of those guys. And those stormtroopers weren't as lame as most of the stormtroopers in the movies, you know, who can't shoot somebody two feet away. I mean, those guys were actually pretty good. So that, yeah, that was a really exciting sequence. Uh, Now, I don't know if you and Bob, I, I read this somewhere that uh, Jango Fett and Boba Fett are not actually Mandalorians. Yes, I saw a couple of videos on that. <laughs> oh, I have not. Blew my mind. And if the audience hasn't, clue us in. 
apparently Django stole the armor, the Mandalorian armor. Um, anyway, that, that's a side note. Well, I, I guess I, guess I really kind of also brings up the question, how come Mando doesn't have a uh, jetpack? I know. He said, I need to get one of those. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, he, he couldn't afford he's it. a Mandalorian, right? He should be flying around like the rest of them. Yeah, well, they all have – some. even in the animated series, some had jetpacks, some did not. Some had flamethrowers, some had blades, uh, not lightsabers, but um, – you know, it was all different kinds of weapons depending on your clan and and your your rank and and all that stuff. So, who knows? Maybe he'll get one uh, eventually. Yeah, that could be exciting. Do you when do you guys think he will take his helmet off? Not not like he did in the last episode where we couldn't see his face. Do you mm-hmm. think we'll get to see his face at some point during the season? Hmm. I kind of hope we don't. I mean, it's it's you know it's kind of nice to keep the mystery going. Yeah. And you know he's he said if he takes it off in front of someone he cannot put it back on. Of course, how would how would the other Mandalorians know when they're you know thousands right. millions of miles away? But <laughs> um, you know if he keeps with the code, then yeah he he can't. Although he almost did in that last one. He almost did. That was very telling, you know, where he is in his life, where he is with the kid and stuff. Um, I don't know. He is a very the actor is a very handsome actor, mm-hmm. um, you know, so they wouldn't lose any brownie points by showing his face. <laughs> and I give them credit. We're four episodes in and, and you know, they don't really uh, usually actors. And I'm not going to mention any MCU actors. <laughs> but they they want their faces to be seen more often than not. Um, oh yeah, I mean so the I MCU. Give, you're like, put your damn helmet back on, or put your damn mask back on. <laughs> I know. So I, I give them credit. I don't. I I I'm with Bob. I hope not. Um, I wouldn't be disappointed if they did, but I I hope not. What what say you, Karen? Yeah, I'm really surprised that uh, he's kept it on. I mean, kind of pleasantly surprised because again, you know, actors. They are their own brands and the way they sell themselves is on their faces. And, you know, I'm surprised that the actor didn't say, oh, I don't get to show my face every episode. You know, what's going on? (laughs) So, you know, uh, applause for Pedro Pascal, because that's kind of impressive that he went along with it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if like in the last episode he takes off his helmet for something. And I, I did in one of those videos some, I don't know, you know, Star Wars expert. I don't know. I don't remember who it was. I apologize. Said that Mandalorians could take off their helmets with their significant other or their children. Yes. So if he adopts the kid, maybe he could take off his helmet with the kid. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they do it in like mm-hmm. the final episode of the season or something, because it seems like you could build up to that. Uh, but you know, on the other hand, like you guys said, if he didn't take off his helmet, I wouldn't be disappointed either. Um, I, I think that's a great point, Karen. If, if he takes off his helmet with, with baby Yoda and my voice is quivering as I even think about it, I will bawl <laughs> like a baby. That would be one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my oh, life. And- and Larry and, and little baby Yoda reaches out and touches his face. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> stop. I, the I man tears. Here come the man tears. Big man tears. 
big man tears. Uh, have you had any man tears leading up till now in the first four episodes? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> anyway. Oh, so moving on. Hey, you know, I I, I I grew up I dig Ultraman, so yeah, mm-hmm. keep it on, it's fine with me. Um yeah, there you go. I mean, you know, I, I I I can I can respect that. Um, you know, we're coming up towards the end of the podcast here, kids. Uh any final thoughts, any any uh comments or anything you wanna uh share before we get into our sensor sweep? I hope it goes on for a long, long time. Amen to that, brother. I mean, yes. I, I like it that much. Yeah, and it, it makes me wonder. I know they're talking about doing an Obi-Wan show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure who's working on that, though. But uh, if they can do a show even, you know, close to as good as this, I, then I'll be excited about it. Yeah, I heard Obi's going to be a, a like a mini series or something. So it's going to get like six or eight episodes or four episodes, whatever. Hmm. And then that's it. I, I don't think it's going to be an ongoing well, that's fine. You know. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm fine. Go ahead and fill it oh, out a little. And one last thing, that mm-hmm. theme song is is super cool. It's awesome, and it's available too. You can download oh. it or, or buy it or whatever. I know what I'll uh, be doing after the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about getting the soundtrack. It's actually you know pretty good. I actually thought it was cool when the uh, ATST like showed up. Dude, and they, and they awesome. had the music mm-hmm. from Jedi in there and stuff. And it was pretty cool. Right. And the red eyes. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like very chilling, very well done. And it teetering on whether or not it would go into the pit or not. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm dying. <laughs> that, I think that episode, it was it was really good. You could tell they were kind of just pushing the budget. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was like that was about the most they could do. But it, it was still really good. Well, if they anyway, follow us with Star Trek, we'll have a all spaceship episode next episode. <laughs> Can't leave the ship. I'm I'm glad I signed up for Disney Plus, even though the MCU stuff isn't coming up until you know next year, next year, a year after, whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. At least I got Mandalorian to keep me happy until then. The Mando, and don't forget Lady and the Tramp. Oh boy. Well. <laughs> I was going back and forth on Facebook because Disney Plus also has John Carter, which hopefully will give that a second life. Because I've been championing John Carter for a long time, and I'm hoping that now it's there and people who have Disney Plus can just flip it on and check it out. You know, all you listeners, go watch John Carter. Cool movie. They're, hey, you know, they could make a series out of it, too. I mean, you never know. Well, I guess if they detect enough people, you know, watching it, downloading it, whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, it would be cool. But, yeah, no, I was flipping through a bunch of the Disney Plus stuff. and uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, they got they got some cool stuff on there. And, yes, maybe I will even catch up on Clone Wars and Rebels and Resist and whatever. Um, oh, you know, eventually. I... Eventually. I need a good, like work injury that like lays me up for like a month so I can catch up on stuff. Well, I prefer winning the lotto to a work injury, but um, (laughs) I've kind of given up on winning the lotto. I'd stand a much better chance if I actually played it. (laughs) Not much better though. Well, that's true. I probably have a better chance of getting a work injury than I do winning the lotto. (laughs) 
Well, uh, you guys, let's uh, let's see what the next four episodes uh, have in store for us. I, I'm sure this is not the uh, only time we'll talk about the Mandalorian. Um, well, we'll have always, to do a wrap episode of the next four at some point. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always in our podcast, uh, we have our sensor sweep. We've come to that portion of the podcast. Chief engineer, uh, Bob has this episode sensor sweep and, uh, Bob, what do you have to share with us this go round? Surprise, surprise, surprise. I got Godzilla. Um, Godzilla, a figure. Godzilla again. Talking about Godzilla. (laughs) Well, Criterion has released, uh, their 1000th product and what better way to celebrate their 1000th release than to release all of the Showa Godzilla movies in one big box set and it's definitely a big box set it's in a big book that's like a little over uh, 10 by 14 inches so it's not something that's going to fit on your DVD shelf but uh, uh, way back when Keith Aiken and I went down for the uh, premiere of Shin Godzilla down in uh, Southern California, Century City, we had a meeting with Toho the following day. And uh, we were in their office, and they were, they were very, very jealous of Gamera and James Bond. Because Gamera and James Bond had all their movies in single box sets. They wanted that for Godzilla. Now, they didn't get all the movies into this one, but they did get all the Showa films, which was a big undertaking because... What they had to do is wait for for rights to lapse, and then they signed the rights over to uh, Janus Films and Criterion. But they still didn't have all the Showa films because King Kong vs. Godzilla is uh, owned in perpetuity for the rest of eternity by Universal. And Kraken releasing had a few of the movies. And uh, so basically, Criterion had to go around and sublease from the leasers. Or licensors, sub-license from the licensors. Anyway, um, so they had to go to Universal and work out a deal to use King Kong versus Godzilla. They had to go to Kraken and, and work out a deal to use. See, now Kraken has, like, Godzilla versus a Smog Monster and a couple others currently out on Blu-ray. Hmm. So in order for Criterion to get those movies, they had to agree to just do Japanese with subtitles. So Kraken would still have the dubs and their releases would still be legitimate so they don't lose sales. Mm. But uh, so basically, you know, it's it's still, it's a great way to have all the Showa films in Japanese subtitled and you get a few dubs here and there um, like King Kong versus Godzilla and I think uh, Sea Monster, Son of Godzilla. You know, just you get some dubs just, uh, you know, thrown in. Consider those bonuses. But, uh, so for the layman, Showa is Showa. But basically, there's uh, different periods based on emperors in Japan, mm. and uh, so the Showa Godzilla series goes from 1954 to 1975. So everything from Godzilla King of the Monsters up through uh, Terror of Mechagodzilla, and once you hit Godzilla 85 through Godzilla versus Destroya, that's called the Heisei series. And then they went, uh, since it was still Heisei, when the other when the newer movies came out, like Godzilla 2000 through Godzilla Final Wars, they just called that the Millennium Series. Gotcha. So uh, anyway, this is all the Showa films. Now, they do have 
some cool extras. Uh, you know, friends of mine like Ed Godzeski and Steve Rifle and Jim Cirinella and uh, Chris Maury all worked on this box set. They so they tried to squeeze whatever extras they could get out of Toho. So on the eighth disc of the set, you have a 1990 interview that was done for the Directors Guild of Japan, like a, a series of, of interviews where directors interviewed their mentors. And this one has Yoshimitsu Bano, who directed Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, interviewing Ishiro Honda. And that's about a, almost an hour-long interview, really interesting. Uh, interviewing Honda in his home. Uh, there's also That's a uh, cool. special called Handcrafted Artistry, where Alex Cox, who directed Repo Man and Sid and Nancy, and also did the narration for the uh, Bringing Godzilla Down to Size special, um, he sits there and discusses his admiration for the show of films. That's only about five minutes. Uh, you also have one called Launching Jet Jaguar which, believe it or not, is an interview with uh, the actor who played Jet Jaguar in uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon. So that's, uh, that's a, definitely a surprising extra. Uh, the Man of Many Faces interviews Ben Furuya, who actually was in the Ultraman suit for uh, the original Ultraman. And he also played Amagi in Ultra 7. But... He had little bit roles in some of the Godzilla films, so he talks about the bit roles that he had. And uh, there's also about a 20-minute uh, interview with Akira Ifukube, who did the uh, music for many of the Showa films. And he did the iconic Godzilla theme and all that. Um, Jim Serenella actually shot that in Japan. It was like a hour-long uh, interview, but Toho would only let them use about 20 minutes of it. But if you want to hear about the scoring and the music of the Godzilla films, that's definitely a cool extra. And then they were negotiating right up to the last second to be able to show the Japanese version of King Kong versus Godzilla, which Universal owned, but never released. Even their Blu-ray release of Godzilla, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla only had the dub. So, uh, they did at the last second get the rights to show it or to include it on the set so that instead of being on the King Kong vs. Godzilla disc, it's actually on disc 8 where all the extras are. So uh, it's definitely really cool, really cool set to own. And uh, if you are a Godzilla fan, I would definitely recommend it. Awesome. I, I have it. I haven't watched it yet, but over the holiday, I, I will find time after that recommendation. Godzilla binge. Thank you, Chief. All right, thank you. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. Mm -hmm.